0: An hour of truth for the battered but proud people of the Empire State. From the financial and entertainment epicenter of New York City to the sleeping and empty small cities and towns of upstate which once bustled with manufacturing, mining, and farming. We all know from inspiration, history, and nature, we deserve a return to the success and growth of generations past, a birthright being squandered by corruption in Albany, and the depredations of an insecure, scheming mountebank posing as governor, who loathes both us... And himself. As liberty beckoned to enslaved peoples behind the Iron Curtain via American broadcasts after World War II, we now say believe, rise, and join us. Welcome to Radio
1: Free New York. Hey guys, welcome to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. And I've almost got my uh my time switched back over from coming back from europe Oh, the jet so. lag is subsiding now, finally yeah, yeah, and you know it's uh it's kind of weird because it's about a six hour time difference, right, so what was happening is i'd I'd wake up at like four five o'clock in the morning you know and that would be ten eleven o'clock over there i do that uh, every day i, don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the problem is yeah yeah but it's uh but then by nine o'clock in the morning you know you've got that kind of like afternoon slow down and then by 3 p.m i'm like it was just like totally crashing because you know it's the end of the day so i'm i'm finally just about adjusted things are uh moving along for me and uh, and we've got Bob back here in the studio. We missed you yesterday. Oh,
0: thank you very much. Yeah, a little respiratory thing going on here. I, I guess probably that trip to Hunan Province. In, the, in China, where I hung out in the street markets, probably wasn't a great idea last yeah, week. Yeah, I hear it's a hot time. It's a good place to be right well, now. there's a lot going on there. A lot of people being hustled away in vans.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know what that's about, man. Maybe
0: Just kidding, folks. I that. was nowhere near that. That's all right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, it's, it's funny because on the trip back, I did get some notifications that there could be additional screening coming into the U.S., depending on where you were.
0: I've got a great uh, screening idea for them. Yeah. How about nobody from China? How about we just shut down? How about a travel ban to China? This is just uh, me, folks. This is not Andrew. Yeah, no, this I, is not I don't Andrew. know about
1: that. It's probably not, probably not the way to go. Um, but, you know, today is Wednesday. For those of you joining the show, Wednesday is White House Wednesday, which means we talk about national topics. Uh, we bring in presidential candidates. We do some interviews. And today we actually have Sam Robb on the line. Is Sam on the line? I think we've got him on the line. Hello, Sam. I'm here. Okay. Sam is here. Awesome. Very good. Sam, welcome to the show. Um, rumor has it, you're running for president uh on the libertarian line.
2: Uh that would be a correct rumor.
1: Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So it's not a rumor at all, it's fact. No, it's not. No. It is. Very very good. So um Sam, why don't you tell us uh a little bit about why you're running uh for president? And we'll, we'll just kind of start off with that. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Okay, why I'm running for president, um, if you want the honest answer, it's because I was left unsupervised. <laughs> uh, I was filling out some paperwork for my daughter's uh, college application, and I thought you know it would be easier to run for president than this, so I took a look into it. Um, actually, I've been thinking for a couple of years about running for president, and uh, it just turned out that this year was the year where it happened. And uh, started looking into it and said, "You know what? I I was a Republican for a number of years. Around 2012, changed my registration to Libertarian, and uh, decided that this was the year that I was going to go for it."
1: Okay, great. So, so I've got a couple questions for you. Um, first, being um, where do you live now? Where did you grow up? You know, what state are you in? That sort of thing.
2: Well, I, I live right now in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, just a little bit north of the city, and uh, actually I'm a Pittsburgh native. grew up in the city of uh, White Oak, which is just outside of McKeesport, which means something to about probably two people listening to you right now. Um, Spent some time out in California in the Navy and uh, came back to Pittsburgh because this is where my family is. This is where I grew up. This is the city that I love. And uh, over the past couple of years, just made a home here, built a family here, and, uh, and this is where I am.
1: Great, great, and uh, so you mentioned that you were a registered Republican and switched over to the Libertarian Party. I'm sure people who are listening are wondering, well, what what made you start off as a Republican? Um, what what brought you to making that switch? Why did you make the switch? Um, give give us a little bit of information on that.
2: Sure. Um, as I mentioned, I spent a couple of years in the Navy uh, out in California. When I graduated from high school, I got a Navy ROTC scholarship. I was very excited for that. It allowed me to go to Carnegie Mellon University. And uh, about that time, really, there was one party that was supportive of you being in the military and another one that wasn't. Uh, So even though I was in a largely Democratic neighborhood growing up, uh, when I had the opportunity, I registered Republican because that's what I saw. That's who was supporting me. Those were the people that were... Uh, helping put me through college, um, and then uh, came back to when I came back to Pittsburgh. You know, continued just out of inertia, really. For the longest time, I referred to myself as a conservative with libertarian leanings. Um, it took until the election of about of twenty twelve, around that time, that uh, I really looked at the Republican Party and said, you know what? They're they're not running candidates that I approve of. They're not implementing policies that I approve of. Uh, I want smaller government. I want uh, fiscal responsibility. All the things that the Republicans talked about, but that nobody actually was doing. And when I said, you know, finally said, this is it. I just can't do this anymore. I realized that, you know, the Republican Party had moved on and where I was was actually very solidly in the libertarian camp. So I figured I might as well make it an official registered as a libertarian, and that's where I've been ever since.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because we, we hear stories like this pretty similarly. Even my story, you know, it, give you a little background on me. Um, I was one of those people who was a young guy um, who, you know, out of high school, I, I feel that my generation specifically has this problem where I don't know if it's the way social studies is taught in school or how participation in government just doesn't Get given the um, the amount of importance it used to be in the education system. But I, I graduated from high school thinking politics wasn't important. I didn't need to be involved in voting. Um, I was I was one of those people until the SAFE Act passed. And once the SAFE Act passed, and, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's essentially um, the most restrictive ban on firearms in the nation, although Virginia is trying to compete with us now, Um, and, and for me, that was a big wake up because I, I grew up in a a conservative household where firearm ownership was a big part of our lives. You know, um, my grandfather was a world war II veteran. My father and him would go hunting all the time. So that was kind of my wake up moment. And I thought, for sure, based on everything I knew, that the Republicans were going to be the one that was the ones that were going to fix it and stand up and and help protect our rights. Um, you know I was a little naive at the time because I didn't know that Republicans actually voted for it um and and so I jumped in it wasn't until later that that I uh made a switch to the libertarian party so uh the the story is kind of similar there i think
2: yeah there's a trust uh, trust there you. You hear people talking, and you listen to them, and you expect them to live up to their words, and they don't.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, we've got maybe about two minutes left. I noticed on your website, um, for those who might be wondering, uh, Sam's website is samrob2020.com, and Rob has two Bs in it. Um, that you had an open letter to your Democrat friends. So I wanted to give you a chance to just summarize that for us, um, because I think it's it's important as a third-party candidate that you can reach both sides.
2: Well, I, I, it's absolutely important. Um, if you look back at the 2016 election, uh, the vast majority of votes that, that went to Johnson were from non-registered libertarians. So reaching third-parties is reaching the Democrats reaching the Republicans is absolutely critical um, for my Democrat friends your party is really going in an odd direction right now uh, they've embraced largely democratic socialism which I know a lot of my friends and family here in, in Pittsburgh where a, a very blue you know blue area in a purple state uh, they're uncomfortable with they are pro Union they like You know, they like private sector unions. They are pro-immigration. They are very, very much in in line with uh, the Libertarian Party on a lot of policies, drug legalization, uh, pardoning people uh, convicted of victimless crimes, uh, judicial reform, criminal justice reform. But the economic policies that the Democratic Party are promoting right now go against where they stand and what they believe as Americans. So they find themselves in, a, in an odd spot where they're looking around and saying, you know what, I, I don't actually align with the Republicans, but the, the Democrats look like they're leaving me behind. And, you know, as a former Republican, I can tell you that I identify with that. I, ad- I understand that completely. When your party has moved on, there's a point where you need to stop and take a look around and say, okay, who are the people who actually believe what I believe? Who are the people where I can find a, a, some common ground and you know make some changes you know, the way I think this country needs to go? And I think if you stop and take a look around, you'll find that while there might be some issues that uh, that you kind of maybe don't agree with the libertarians on, Democrats, you're going to find a lot of things that, that we are in sync on. And you're going to find a party that is willing to talk to you and willing to work with you and willing to uh, – do what we can to make america better
1: awesome no that that's great I, I definitely think it's important to highlight that there's a lot of things that we agree on you know so uh we're going to take a real brief break here guys on radio free new york when we come back we're going to ask sam rob about his top three policies we'll talk about that when we come back
2: You're listening to Radio
1: Free New York.
0: White House Wednesday. We're just playing this to get Sam uh, used to the Hell to the Chief song. You know?
1: <laughs> Welcome <laughs> back to uh, Radio Free New York, guys. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. Today is White House Wednesday, and we have Sam Robb on the phone. He is running for president of the United States on the 2020 election here on the Libertarian Ticket. Um, so what I like to talk about is the candidates top three policies that if elected, um, they would want to implement, um, as president of the United States. So Sam, let's, uh, let's hear what you got.
2: Okay. I'm going to give you uh the top three and then we can go through them. Perfect. Uh, number one is to d- decrease the size and scope of the federal government. Uh, number two. Eliminate taxes for the majority of Americans and small businesses. And number three is immigration and and naturalization reform. All right. So those are my top three. First one, size and scope of the federal government. Um, You just came back from Europe, if I remember hearing correctly.
0: Yep. Right? Yep, sure did. So
2: um, I've been doing a lot of traveling lately, which means I get to actually interact with a lot of the wonderful people in the Transportation Safety Administration. That's my most recent interaction with government. And as anybody who's ever flown, you know, you can absolutely say that that's not a pleasant experience. They do their best, but it's a lot like going in for your annual physical. You're not really going to enjoy it, even though it's necessary. Um, If you think, I ask people if you think back, what's the last interaction you had with government? And they'll talk about going to uh, dealing with the IRS. They'll talk about going to the DMV. They'll talk about dealing with the Social Security Administration. And every time I do that, I say, okay, now I want you to stop and think, what problems did you have with that agency? What, what issues did you have? And it's, a, it's bureaucratic. It's, it's long lines. It's it, employees who really aren't there, you know, to take care of you. They were just getting through their day. There's a whole host of issues that you that you run into, and I stop and ask them. I say, okay, so what makes you think that that particular department is the one that happens to be the bad one in the government, and everybody else is stellar? The truth is that they're all too big, they're all too bloated, they all have too many problems. Some of them shouldn't even exist. And when you when you talk to people like that, that gets gets them thinking. They start wondering, okay. Maybe I am making assumptions about how good the government does things. And when you, when you stop and think about it, you realize, hey, the last time there was a federal shutdown, how, how badly did, did that affect you? What did that actually mean to you in your life? And the truth is there are huge chunks of government that we can do without that we really don't need. We're spending money on, we're spending time on, and it's much better uh, dealt with either at the state or local level or even at the, you know, at the private level.
1: Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree. So, do you have um, specific departments or government organizations in mind that you would reduce <laughs> the size of, eliminate completely? Um, you, you know, and of course, I'm, I'm sure a- as you hear this question, you're also thinking like, you know, that some people like freak out when they hear that a government oh, organization absolutely. might go away.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, there, there's ones that on the right and on the left, Uh, If you're talking to Republicans, if you're talking to Democrats, uh, are kind of the key departments. Um, On the Republican side, if you're talking to a Republican, Department of Education. I have a longstanding beef with the Department of Education. It's younger than I am. Uh, When they first came up with the Department of Education, uh, we were doing very well compared to the rest of the world. We're doing a lot worse now. We haven't gotten our money's worth out of it. the Department of Education, really, we can do without. We did without it for 200 years. Uh, you're talking to talking to again someone on, someone on the right, someone who's more conservative or Republican. You mentioned the uh, ATF, and there's a lot of people who would love to see the ATF go away completely. There's, I think, there are some things that the ATF does uh, that most people aren't aware of in terms of uh, you know basically uh, working with insurance companies to help understand. Uh, fire patterns and, and you know, die, do forensics for uh, explosives and other situations like that. But for the most part, when people think of the ATF, they think of gun regulations. And, you know, on the conservative side, yeah, we'd like to get rid of those. On the other side, when you talk about reducing reducing the size of government and you get people saying, whoa, 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 whoa you just want to cut the government, I say, okay, well, you're happy with the foreign wars that we're having? You're happy with the money that we're pouring into uh, sending Troops overseas to you know maintain an 18-year-old war in Afghanistan, a war that's old. Actually, war that used to be old enough to smoke, but now isn't. Thank you, government. Um, Are you happy with the way that immigration is being handled right now in the country? Are you happy with with the uh, the INS and uh, ICE and the other uh, organizations that that have grown up around that? And the answer is whether you're talking to Democrats or Republicans. There is always something that you can look at at in the the government at the federal level and say, wouldn't you like to get rid of this? And when when the answer there is yes, you can, can, like I said earlier, turn it around and say, okay, now what makes you think that 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 agency is different from all the other agencies? They all are bigger than they need to be. They are all bloated. They are all full of bureaucracy. They all need to be cut.
1: All right, and and I kind of feel like that probably goes into your your next policy in reducing taxes. So, is is there more you want to add to the reducing taxes part of the policy, or is it mostly going to be cutting cutting government agencies down in size and bloat?
2: Well, if you start cutting start cutting government agencies, and in, in honesty, the the platform there, my my position there, is that. Uh, People earning under fifty thousand dollars a year, small businesses earning under five million dollars a year, uh, they account they account for, I think, rough. If you add it up, roughly about around three hundred billion dollars a year in revenue, uh, taken in by the government from from taxes. That's about somewhere around two percent of federal spending. If we can if we can cut two percent of the federal spending, uh, the vast majority of Americans, uh, including those who who really are working blue-collar workers, uh, you, know, have a, you know, have a family, mouth to feed, trying to ma- make it and get ahead in the world, uh, they're going to be freed up from paying taxes. Uh, eliminating small businesses from having to, to pay taxes eliminates a lot of overhead, allows them to offer uh, services more efficiently, more cheaply, benefits everybody. So we're talking about an econo- economic stimulus here. We're talking about pers- personal stimulus for a very small cost if we if honestly if we stop handing out foreign aid and eliminate the department of education then we've got you know we've paid for all, all these tax cuts i hate to use that term but that's the way people think we've paid for these tax cuts we've gotten rid of the spending so we can reduce taxes that way um ultimately i'd love to see the irs be one of those agencies that gets cut back down to the bare bones uh if you don't have anybody you know, paying taxes, then what need do you have for the IRS? We've got, uh, I think you can make an argument perhaps that uh, maintaining uh, corporate taxes is something that can be done. You know, you have basically charging corporations for the privilege to have special legal status. Uh, you know, if you want to look at that as a fee as opposed to an income tax on businesses, you um, but ultimately, the goal there would be to get the get to the point where nobody's paying taxes, and we're running the government based off of income streams other than taxing personal income.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, a lot of people hear um, not paying income tax and they think that's a, a great idea. There, there's, there's of course, a lot of people that get concerned about where the tax is going to come from, how is the government going to operate um, if there are no income taxes. But we've only got about two minutes left in this segment, and I wanted to give you a chance to hit your third policy on immigration and naturalization.
2: Immigration and naturalization reform. So I've got three adopted daughters. Um, All three of them uh, were born in China. So my wife and I have firsthand experience with uh, dealing with INS. Uh, We have a wonderful agency uh, department here in Pittsburgh. They were fantastic to deal with, but they were still a government agency. We still had to fill out paperwork. We still had to go through interviews. We had to do all sorts of things that your average parent just doesn't have to do because we were dealing with the government. Um, I work in the technology industry. I've worked with a ton of people who, who come here on uh, on work visas, uh, come here uh, and, and worked on getting their citizenship. Um, INS is a big, busted organization. We need immigration reform. It routinely accomplishes the exact opposite of its stated intent. Instead of immigrating people, allowing people to come into the United States, it keeps people out of the United States and really... We want those people. We want the the entrepreneurs. We want the best and the brightest. We want the people who who look at us and say, hey, that is where I want to be. That's the country I want to be a part of. Those are the people that I want around me and that I want to support. And we really need to change immigration in order to make that happen. I advocate for returning to a model of immigration, uh, the Ellis Island model, where we basically say, hey, if you can get here – if you can pay whatever the minimal processing fee is so that we can uh, do a, a medical screening and this is appropriate for right now talking about China, we want to make sure you're not bringing anything into the United States that might harm people. We want to make sure that you're not wanted somewhere else for crimes or for uh, for behaviors that we don't want. To, we don't want you importing into the United States. We want to make sure that you have some idea of how you're going to take care of yourself once you're here. Hey, once you do that, fantastic. Here's your, here's your visa. You want to work, you work. You want to study, you study. You want to come here and be an American, we'll work with you on that. But get here and just go through a minimal process to make sure that everything is above board and that we know you're here so that we can help you assimilate, we can help you get integrated, and we can help you become an
1: American. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I talk about this from my firsthand experience. My wife being from another country and her path to citizenship. Uh, a lot of immigration issues that got to be resolved. All right, guys, we're going to take our half an hour break here. Um, the break is not going to last a half an hour. Sorry, guys. Five minute break here. We'll be back in a moment on Radio Free New York.
2: Free New York.
1: We are back here on Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. Today is White House Wednesday, and we have Sam Robb on the phone. He is running for president of the United States on the Libertarian Line. Um, And we just got done talking about his uh, top three priorities, which were um, to decrease the size and scope of the federal government, reduce taxes, and uh, fix up our immigration and naturalization system. Um, So I've got some questions that I know people have. Uh, The first is going to be, say you're elected, you're a libertarian, third-party candidate. How are you going to work with Democrats and Republicans to get these things uh, happening in the federal government?
2: Well, One of the things that's kind of cool about being a libertarian is you uh, find a lot of points of common agreement, no matter which side of the aisle you go to. Right. So, if uh, if I'm talking to Republicans, uh, obviously, as I mentioned, they're interested in things like uh, uh, eliminating gun laws. They're they're interested in things like uh, reducing supposedly, reducing spending, reducing the deficit, uh, cutting taxes, those are all things that I can work with the Republicans on. On the uh, Democrat side of the aisle, obviously things like bringing troops home, ending the the constant wars that we're involved with, uh, immigration reform, uh, are all things that the the Democrat side of the House is very interested in. So I think as a libertarian president, uh, I'll have the opportunity to, to work basically both sides of the aisles. And, you know, where I can maybe get something, you know, might be able to get something done if I was a Republican president or might be able to get something done if I was a Democrat president, uh, being a libertarian will open up the opportunity to get a lot more done a lot more quickly because of that.
1: Awesome. So some of the things that uh, have maybe been stalled um – that, that Democrats and Republicans haven't been able to fix. Um, one of them is health care. So do you do you have a, a policy in mind as to how you would be able to sit there with Democrats and Republicans and address uh, health care?
2: That's going to be a hard one, just because uh, I think as far as that goes, the Democrats and the Re- Republicans at this point are on the same page. They're both steering towards single-payer, they're both steering towards a massive government program uh, that oversees your health care, and I think that's absolutely wrong. Uh, We need to get back to an era where health care was an individual practice, where uh, it was between you and your doctor, where remove as best you can the interference that the government has has put on the market, where you remove as best you can the uh, Interference that you, that you have because of these large insurance health insurance companies, and uh, get back to a situation where you can say, okay, I've got to, have got to make a you know, make a visit to the doctor. How much is it going to cost me? I've got. We see a little bit of that today, right now, with uh, you know what people call the doc in the box. You've got the uh, urgent care centers. You go to them, and they, you know, they don't wrangle about prices or tell you, uh, you're going to have to work it out with your insurance company. They tell you it's forty dollars. It's twenty dollars or whatever. You come in, you get an exam. They say, "Yeah, you need some some antibiotics or you need some uh, some other treatment." Here you go. Here's your prescription. You know, go fill it. It's you know ten dollars at Walmart, right? You have an idea of how much everything costs. That sort of basic care is right now in our healthcare system just isn't accounted for. We've we're set up so that everything is dealt with as if you are dealing with a life-threatening illness that's going to cost you your house, your home, and your job. And that doesn't scale down to routine care, which is where most people are and where most people live.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I I totally agree with that. I mean, one of the things that I constantly say that would make our healthcare system better is just basic transparency between the patient and their costs. Um, So I I think heading in that direction definitely help us out. Um, What about student loans, and student debt forgiveness. You know, you're, we're hearing a lot about this in mainstream media, the student debt crisis. There's all these buzzwords surrounding it. Yep. Um, do, does your team have a, a policy on how you'd address this issue, if at all?
2: Well, I'll, I can tell you what a uh, tremendously horrible solution to that is, which is the one that we've just heard proposed, which is, hey, let's tax tuition payments, right? So tuition payments are two – You know exactly what what they're saying is there's you're spending too much on college so let's actually make college more expensive in order to pay for college uh i'm not quite sure how that works out uh my plan honestly is uh, we alluded to it earlier the vast majority of uh middle class debt that's held right now is college debt um i think it's somewhere around the around the order of uh a billion and a half to two billion dollars and the average middle-class family holds around $30,000 in college debt. The average middle-class family also pays somewhere around uh, five dollars to $8,000 a year in, in federal taxes, one way or another. That's talking about income tax, uh, federal payroll taxes, uh, Medicare, Medicaid taxes. If you stop taking people's money, in four to five years the problem generally corrects itself because they will have – the money that they need in order to pay for the the student loans that they've taken out. Long term, we really need to get to a point where student loans are uh, available to be settled in bankruptcy so that uh, the situation we have right now where you're saddled with student loan and you basically become a debt slave uh, can be eliminated. Uh, That will make it harder to get loans. That will force colleges to uh, basically accommodate people who don't have as much uh, money to spend so they will have to be more efficient at offering uh, offering their programs, and I think in the long run it will help drive college costs down. It will help improve improve college for everybody, and uh, it will help us get out of, get ourselves out of debt.
1: Great. Um, what about things that you envision uh, would make it to your desk that you would veto? What uh, What things are you thinking that are going to come through and you're going to be like, nope, not going to happen.
2: Um. I actually like that. That was one of my very first promises I made uh, when I started campaigning. If it comes across my desk, I'm—I've got two criteria: Does it uh, decrease the safety of the American people, and does it increase their liberty? If the answer to those are no and yes, then I'll approve it. If the if either answer is no. I'm just going to veto it. If Congress wants to push that past me, if they want to push past some new mega omnibus bill, if they want to uh, uh, fund college forgiveness or whatever, they're going to have to get together and override a veto in order to make that happen. I'm working for the American people. I'm not working for Congress. I'm doing the best I can to make sure that the that the American people are taken care of, that they are safe. That's one of the few things that I think that the uh, government is responsible for is to help help keep our citizens safe. And uh, and if it doesn't increase liberty, then I'm not interested in it. All
1: right. Very good. And then uh, we've got about three minutes here. So let's let's talk a little bit about fake news. Do you do you think we have a problem with fake news? How would you combat fake news throughout your candidacy and then as a president? Or is it a non-issue?
2: I don't think it's a non-issue. Um, oddly enough, just in the last couple of days, I've been running a uh, running a Facebook ad, and one of the things that I've had to deal with is uh, seeing comments on the ad that are coming from obvious, very obvious, fake accounts, uh, accounts that were created in the last 24 hours, and the only thing that they've done is somehow find my one particular ad and, and make a negative comment on it. Um, so I think we do... We do have a fake news problem. We do have we do have a problem uh, with, you know, basically uh, people using bots, people using uh, carefully crafted articles to drive the news cycle. Um, I think ultimately that's going to turn out to be a non-issue. We're dealing with it right now, but, uh, you know, as in terms of as a culture, as a people, we're going to learn to deal with it. Uh, we're going to learn to get around it just like we've learned to get around, get around other issues introduced by technology. It's just a rough spot right now. Um, ultimately, I don't think that we have a fake news problem that's influencing elections in any significant way because, you know, for every fake news article that's out there that's intended to get you to vote one way, I'm going to look at it, and it's going to cause me to vote the other way. So I think ultimately it's not that big a deal. You might sway things a little bit one way or another, But uh, in the long run, we're going to learn to filter that out and recognize it and just get on with it
1: all right very good so you guys are listening to sam rob he is running for president of the united states in this year's 2020 election he's running on the libertarian line and uh, we're going to take a brief break here when we come back we're going to go through our lightning round um, ask him a bunch of questions and then give him a chance to tell you guys uh, how you can find out more about his campaign we'll be back in a moment on radio free new york new york all right welcome back to radio free new york i'm your host andrew hollister we're talking with sam rob who's running for president of the united states he's running on the libertarian ticket and uh we're now in our lightning round so essentially this is i'm gonna ask a couple questions that come up fairly often on the page and uh you Answer the questions in, you know, one to three sentences, basically. Um, So question number one is, do you support term limits for Congress? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Um, What about the elimination of Social Security? Yes,
2: I would like to see us get to the point where Social Security is uh, what they refer to down in Texas as the alternate plan a combination of private investment portfolio, private insurance, uh, funded by the individual and the, uh, their employer, and uh, we can transition people off of their current Social Security system into that.
1: Awesome. Um, this one you've already answered, but just in case people are joining the show, I think this one uh, you've got down pretty good. Uh, do we need the Department of Education? No. <laughs> no. I figured you might say that. Um, What about, you know, Election Day? Should that be a federal holiday?
2: You know what? I don't know. I think it would be nice if it were, but I don't think it's a requirement. I don't think you absolutely need it. People find the the opportunity to vote if they want to vote, if they feel they need to vote. It's not onerous.
1: All right. Uh, What about Camaro or Corvette?
2: Corvette.
1: Corvette? Absolutely, Corvette. Yeah. Um, Should we ban the Fed? And by the Fed, I mean the Federal Reserve.
2: Federal Reserve. Definitely would like to see the Federal Reserve audited, Um, probably eliminated. I get the feeling that uh, from what I've read from the people that I've talked to, that over time it has done more harm than good.
1: All right. Uh, What about your favorite person in history and Why?
2: Ooh, favorite person in history, uh, that would be, have to be Richard Feynman. Uh, he was one of the folks who worked at uh, Los Alamos, and he is a tremendous character. If you have the chance to read Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, uh, it's kind of his story of him and his life and how he eventually uh, came to understand quantum chromodynamics. He is a fascinating character.
1: All right, very cool. Um, what about uh, pineapple on pizza? Does it belong there?
2: No, no, <laughs> no, it does not belong there. However, I will defend to my death your right to eat pineapple on pizza.
1: I'm very glad even to hear it's that. Wrong. Yeah, because I uh, I I like pineapple on my pizza, but it's 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 a surprisingly divisive topic, believe it or not. Um, I like really it on pizza.
2: It's it's okay. It really you throw a little little bit of ham on there and a little bit of pineapple, and it. it's it's a good treat once in a while.
1: Yeah. Um, what about are there any moral wars? And I, I'll give you a chance to expand on this too.
2: Uh, moral wars? Yes, I believe there are. Uh, war is. Essentially, if you are fighting to defend yourself, uh, I believe that's absolutely, absolutely moral. We have a right to defend ourselves individually. That means we have a right to defend ourselves collectively as people. We also have a right, I believe, to intervene to defend others. Uh, if you look back at World War II, for example, I think that was that's an excellent example where you have uh, tr- a tremendously horrific regime that was uh, – Basically invading and and uh, murdering people, and it is you know as good neighbors you know you would not stand by and watch your neighbor kill his family without trying to intervene. I would hope I know that I know that I would not do that. I think that most people would not be comfortable saying, "Yeah, you know what that's my neighbor that's that's his problem. I'll let him deal with it." You would feel the need to step in. If you run into a situation like that, then absolutely. I believe it's, it's moral, not only moral, but I believe there's an obligation there to intervene. All now, right. That said, I don't think that we have seen anything quite like that since World War II.
1: Yeah. yeah. Most,
2: most of the wars that we are involved in now are, are not wars of defense. They are not protecting people. They are actually accomplishing the exact opposite
1: of that. Sure, sure. Uh, soda or pop. It's pop. It's pop I'm from Pittsburgh. It? <laughs> it's, it's pop from Pittsburgh. Pop. You know, nobody's called it soda pop yet. I, I'm, I'm waiting for somebody who be like, "No, it's soda pop." That's um,
2: that sounds sort of weird hybrid.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hear it from time to time. Um, so let's let's talk um, a little bit. Uh, we talked about wars. You know, what, do, what would your plan be to bring troops back home? This, is, this has come up a couple times you know you mentioned especially like when you reach out to democrats you talk about how they don't want people overseas fighting wars right. um do do you have a plan in place what what would that look like to the american people and to the parents who might have children over there right now
2: uh the i mean the simple answer there is right now we've got a you know especially when you're talking about afghanistan and and the middle east an authorization for the use of military force which is not a declaration of war uh, that basically says, "Hey, you're the president. You have you have the uh, the OK from Congress to go ahead and deploy troops over here, without a declaration of war." I think it's easy, you know the answer there is to turn around, tell Congress, "Hey, if you want us involved over there, that is your prerogative as Congress. That is explicitly stated in the Constitution. I'll give you I'll give you 30 days. I'll give you 60 days. Whatever. But you've got a timeline. If you do not give me a declaration of war." I have the authorization to use military force. I also have the authorization to withdraw military force and I'm going to start withdrawing troops. I'm going to start bringing them home and it's not going to be a panicked withdrawal. It's going to be orderly. It might take several you know, it might take several years in fact to to get everything wrapped up and get people back home. But the answer is going to be hey, if Congress is not going to tell me this is a, a fight you have to fight, you know, where you have to fight, this is a fight you have to be in, I'm going to say no. We're going to you know, start reeling things back in.
1: All right. Uh, Should we be banning vaping? This is actually, uh, this is,
2: hits close to home for me. Uh, About three years ago, I quit nicotine. Uh, Thanks to a really wonderful site on on the internet called killthecan.org, a bunch of great guys there. And uh, I think nicotine is a horrible substance. It's incredibly addictive. It has a lot of negative effects on me. And just like pineapple on your pizza, if you want to do it, I don't think I have any right to, to stop you. So I absolutely think that the, the government ban on, uh, on vaping um, and the, the raising the age of, for purchasing tobacco to 21, I think is, seriously, it, why do we need to do that? Let If you think that 18-year-olds are adults, let adults make decisions.
1: Awesome. Um, so this one will hit home for this show for sure, which is uh, tell us a little bit about your stance on gun rights. We've got about uh, two and a half minutes.
2: Gun rights, I believe that the proper stance is uh, with your knees approximately underneath your shoulders, bent a little bit, and uh, both hands on the gun. Other than that, I don't think that uh, the government should be telling you what to do with, with weapons. The, the Constitution uh, gives us the right to keep and bear arms. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'd, I'd go so far as to say, uh, ultimately, we've gone so far away from that that we're arguing guns when really we should be arguing the fact that uh, when that was written, we had privately owned ships of war in the United States. So we have come very, very far away from the, the meaning of the, the Second Amendment. Right now, though, the battle is gun rights, and uh, we if I were president— it, one of the things I would do would be to uh, work with Congress and work with work with the, uh, the ATF, and I would like to see us roll back to pre World War II. That means getting getting rid of the National Firearms Act. That means getting back to the point where uh, full auto uh, weapons are available to the to the public. Uh, that means. Basically, getting us back to to the situation where, you know, my grandparents or your grandparents uh, grew up in, where mass murders weren't you know weren't happening, mass mass shootings weren't happening, and that I think that's because an armed society is a polite society, and when you have a culture of gun ownership that uh, people understand and and react to, that uh, criminals. Self-select and move away from from uh, activities that are going to get themselves shot. So ultimately, I think uh, repealing gun gun laws that we have right now at the at the federal level would go a long way towards helping our society as a whole become more peaceful.
1: Awesome. So we've only got about thirty seconds left here on the show. I just want to give you a chance to uh, give us your uh, Facebook page and any other contact information.
2: Right. You can find me on Facebook at. Uh, SamRob2020 and you can also find me as you mentioned earlier before at SamRob2020.com that's SamRob with two D's. Um I'm on Twitter as 2020 SamRob and if you're interested in uh, contacting me you can get a hold of me at info at SamRob2020.com